0: Thank you, Mikey and gang. Uh, for those who have uh, young people, young adults, you can or young teenagers, excuse me, not young adults. Young adults, stay put. You can be dismissed with Brother Bill for your hour of worship. And man, wasn't our worship team phenomenal? Mikey uh, always finds the the right songs and boy isn't that what we needed in light of what's going on in our culture that through Christ and me and word of God speak that's just the right message the world needs to see from us and so it's good to see my forever family I love you all and I'm so glad to be here I hope everybody's having a wonderful morning if you're visiting with us we're glad you're here. And I love summers and hot springs because we're kind of the, the, the flip of everybody else in the church world, so to speak. And that we get a lot of visitors this time of year that are here for the lake and for our tourism, and I love that. You know, I always say that my sermon prep is always changing, and this, this week was no exception. As things in my life happen, events, right? Life continually happens. I find myself drawn back into the word and, and my message changing. And I always say I'm, I'm convicted by my word. By, by the words I speak, they're, they're from my heart and they are um, driven sometimes by my life experiences. And today's sermon's no exception. And so this morning at 5 a.m. I practically rewrote my sermon. <laughs> so we will see. But I promise you I've got my phone up here and my timer going so I won't keep you too long. And today we're going to be looking at a passage from Paul and it's about freedom, right? And despite what's going on in our culture and the who wins the what Supreme Court case or who wins what election, Jesus Christ is still supreme. He's still king. He's sovereign. And so today's scripture from Paul, the backstory is what changed everything for me. As I prepared, I, I usually do a lot of research about what's going on, what's the context, why did Paul write this? And today was today's lessons was no exception. But what I found was the backstory was the story. And it stands alone in its own merit. And I hope it's encouraging you today. You know, our country fought for its freedom in the 1700s, right? We declared our independence from England and we, England, said, nah, that's not going to happen. We said, oh yeah, it's going to happen because we love our freedom. We don't like your tyranny and so we're going to fight for it. And so the battle ensued and one of the things that gets often overlooked is the role that women played. They were critical to the success of this country and the declaration of our independence and beyond, and per, uh, preserving that. Women like Abigail Adams, Mary Otis Warren, Deborah Sampson, Margaret Corbin, maybe those are names you haven't heard, and Mary Ludwig Hayes, and many others. Some of these women even followed their husbands into battle, right, into these campaigns, and it was not, that was not the norm, right? At a time where women we're seen a little different in our culture. They said, we're gonna follow anyway in whatever way we can serve to win our freedom and sustain that freedom, we're gonna do it. And so they supported the soldiers through many ways like nursing care and providing hydration, right? Lots of good ways. But you know, many of them got caught up in the battle because when you're taking water to soldiers, sometimes that means going on the battlefield. And many found themselves caught up in the battle and were actually injured. Uh, Margaret Corbin was a lady who followed her husband who was assigned to a uh, artillery unit. I guess that's a, a cannon in the Revolutionary War. right? But she was right there serving those men. I don't, I don't know if she was loading cannons. I don't know exactly what she did but she served and she was nearly fatally wounded. She was left for dead and after the battle they actually took her uh, to a hospital of sorts and she survived but permanently disabled and she was actually our first woman who had a military uh, discharge and lifetime pension, right, from the Revolutionary War. Deborah Sampson had to disguise herself as a man. They said she was very tall and, and fit the bill so she dressed in a way to make herself look like a man so she could enlist in the army and she did so. And it was only after she, she got a fever that nearly took her life, the virus, that they found out she was a lady. They were wonderful wives and very brave women who we owe a debt of gratitude today that we get to sit here in this nice air-conditioned building and worship without fear. <clears throat> they knew what freedom was, and they were willing to sacrifice for it. So I encourage you to read about some of these women, very... very um, inspirational many of these women were motivated by the gospel of Christ the grace that we're given through Jesus Christ that's what pushed them to fight for this freedom and you know sometimes you don't realize the value of something until it's missing in your life I think about how I would miss Mexican food if it didn't exist Uh, I love some salsa and queso and some street tacos I confess would be sad, I would miss it. I would miss sports, love the Razorbacks, right? And oh, how I love Mexican food. And I'm sure many of you can think of just such a thing in your life that if it was taken, it was gone, removed, you would really miss it. But we take it for granted right now while we have it. And isn't it true that until those things are removed from our life, we take them for granted, especially grace. You would miss the grace that's given to you by a loved one when you make a mistake. Or maybe the lack of a production in work, and so your boss gives you some grace. Right? Those are the types of grace we need in our lives. Or maybe you need to show some grace to the tourists that drive through Central Avenue at the bypass and don't know how to function in those intersections. Can I get an amen? Drives me bonkers. we, We all love grace. We all need grace. And we should all be willing to give grace. And if you didn't have it, I promise you, you would miss it dearly. And no other gospel can do what the gospel of grace can do. Nothing. Not only saves us from our sins, but it saves us for a life of freedom and service. And so this lesson today that we're going to have is from Galatians. And it should be a reminder of the gift of grace and how we were freed from the law. And so the backstory. Some of us don't like backstories, in history. They get tired of that, right? But it's important. I'm a history buff, I confess, so studying the backstories and the history of things are fascinating to me. But let me start with the New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're different people's accounts about the life of Jesus. They're about his ministry when he was here on this earth as a human. After the Gospels, we have the book of Acts. It's called Acts because it's about the Acts of the church. In other words, it's the early church, about the first three decades of the early church. So if you read the book of Acts, what you're reading is the time the church began when Christ ascended and all the different events that happened. And it's in Acts that we meet Saul. Saul was a religious leader, very smart man. Uh, We would probably call him a um, a theologian and a lawyer in our culture. Very learned. Went to some of the greatest teachers. And because he was such a devout Jew, he set out to end this thing that we call Christianity, the following of Christ, because he saw it as destructive to the law of Moses, the old way. But he found Jesus on a road while going to destroy Christians and destroy the church. And it changed him, and he became Paul. And because of that life change, he decided to become a missionary. So he takes his friend Barnabas, and they decided to go on what we would call the first world missions trip, right? He was our first missionary. And so he left north out of what we now call the Holy Land, that Jerusalem area. He headed north. He went into a part of the world that we now call Turkey, the country of Turkey. And in the center, the central portion of Turkey, 2,000 years ago, was known as Galatia or Galatia. It was like a country or a region, and there were several towns, and that's where he went. And you know, Paul's, um, the way his strategy was, if you will, was to go to the Jews first. He was a Jew. He understood Jews. And so he would often go to the Jews first. After preaching the good news to them when he was out on his mission, he would then go to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. But Paul didn't go, when he went to Galatia, he didn't go to that synagogue, because that's where you would have found the Jews, right? Synagogue, think church building in our, our terms, right? We're the church, you know that. But the building where we gather. So that's where he would go to find the Jews. However, Galatia was nearly completely Gentile. There were no Jews, so there was no synagogue for him to go to. And this is important, because these were not Jews he was teaching Jesus about. These were not people that knew the Old Testament from heart. He did not go there and tell them, you must first become a Jew if you're going to become a Christian. He didn't say that. Instead, he just boldly preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that that was sufficient to save us, anybody regardless of your ethnicity, your status, or your past. So I don't care what you've done. God says, I am enough for you. Like I said, Paul was a murderer. So it doesn't matter what you've done. That's the message he preached to these Gentiles. And I want to encourage you this week to read the book of Galatians through. Sit down and read it in one sitting. It's only six chapters. And remember, we call it a book, and we've broken it into chapters, verses, but it's a letter. This is a letter to help you see that grace isn't too good to be true. Okay? So sit down and read it. You would not take a letter that your grandmother handwrote and sent to you and say, I'm going to read one page today and set it away and then read again tomorrow a little bit of it. No. Right? You would sit down and... And read all of it. Take it all in. So read it through completely this week. And imagine yourself being a non-Jew and sitting with others from your small group, as we might call it today, or your house church. Because they didn't have synagogues, so these new Christians had to meet in somebody's home, right? And Betty would say, y'all come over here and meet with us. That's our house church, right? That's where it began. And if it got too big, maybe they found some brother or sister who was very wealthy and had a bigger house. They might move there. But they would sit together and read this. And imagine, imagine if the person who is responsible for you bringing you to Christ has sent you a personal letter. Right? You would want to sit down and devour it. And so imagine you're sitting there And that the man who taught you there was hope through Jesus Christ has sent this to you. Now here's why Paul had to write the letter. There was a purpose that he wrote this letter. Paul had gone to these people and preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that your faith in Jesus is enough. That your faith in Jesus is enough to save you. That becoming a Jew through adherence to some customs and laws, and traditions was not necessary to be saved. Would we not all agree with that today? We're here today because of that. But here's what happened. That's how he reached those people on this missionary journey, and that's how he saved them. But the reality is, after he left, he went back and continued doing his mission work, and he gets word that some Pharisees from Jerusalem heard about what Paul was doing. And they said, oh, that's good. He's He's reaching others. But we need to clarify some stuff. So some Pharisees from Jerusalem take this journey to Galatia. When they get there, they said, and by the way, they didn't have permission to go. The apostles did not send them out. They just went because they needed to make things right. They were more righteous, right? So they said, you know, Paul's a good guy. He really is. But he didn't tell you the whole story. He only gave you part of the gospel. And by the way, he isn't even really an apostle. All the real apostles are with us in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus said otherwise about Paul, right? He changed the man's life in a drastic way on the road to Damascus. But think about it. Jesus was a Jew. If you read the New Testament, you see that Jesus throughout his life practiced His religion, right? He practiced the Jewish law, the law of Moses. So it would make sense, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to follow the law of Moses. And so that's what these Pharisees from Jerusalem went to do. Now, this is important. These guys never denied the work of Christ. They didn't deny who Jesus was or what he did. What they denied was that Christ was enough to save you. They said, oh, you need what Christ did. But you also need to follow the law of Moses, all the customs, all the traditions, all the rules. And by the way, be circumcised. Now... If you aren't sure what circumcision is, I encourage you to reach out to Pastor Mark by email, tell him you need all the details and I'm sure he will be glad to respond and give you that information. You're welcome, Mark. Now I'm going to give you the brief. When God called Abraham and he made his covenant with him that you're going to be the father of my people, he said we need a sign. We need a sign for a covenant and that was very common, right? Something that represents my promise to you. He said, every time a male child is born at eight days old, you're to cut off the excess skin off their male organ, right? And this will be a sign that you've been cut off or set apart for my mission of this world. All right? That was something they did as a sign of the covenant. And that's what circumcision is. It's a sign between God's covenant and his people. And it's easy to promote that when a child is eight days old and doesn't remember the procedure. It's totally different to go to a grown man and say, by the way, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to be circumcised. Can you imagine the mission implications if that's what we were telling the world? Oh, Come to church, learn about Jesus. And oh, by the way, guys, if you're not already, you need to be. Right? I think we'd see a lot of minivans pull up, kicking their kids and wife out and driving off. See you this afternoon, honey. Right? Paul was furious. He was livid. If you read this gospel from the beginning, and I encourage you to, because it is one of those times Paul gets ticked off. Because they changed the gospel. The good news that saves us, they polluted. They added to it. They distorted a beautiful message that we are saved by faith through grace in the name of Jesus and that the work of Christ is enough. So Paul's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to deal with these people. He did. We know that. In other writings, we read that he went there to deal with this situation. But before he did, he wrote this letter because he needed those people do know right there was no email there was no let's run up there it was a big journey so he said I'm gonna send this letter to set them straight and so that's what the letter to the Galatians is about that's the backstory and that is huge because that's our lives too today and so in his letter he asks two questions over and over and over again and that's why I beg you spend the week Just take time to sit down one morning, one evening, and read it through because there's two questions. Number one, is Jesus' work enough to save you? Is it enough? Is the fact that Jesus, Jesus left heaven, came here to be born of a virgin, live a perfect life so he could be our sacrifice? Because we are not worthy. We're sinners. Die on a cross to be our once and for all sacrifice. Be buried. Raise again after three days. And we're the only religion, by the way, that has a Savior that still lives. That he died as a sacrifice for all mankind. And then that he ascended back to heaven after his ministry here on earth. And that he's waiting to come back. And that's where we're at. We're waiting. And that excites me. So is that enough? Is it enough to save you? Or do you need somebody to place some sort of rules on your life that you can follow so you can do something, so you can feel good about yourself, about doing some work. Is Jesus' work enough to save you? And secondly, is Jesus' spirit enough to change us? Is Is Jesus in spirit form dwelling inside us enough to change or transform the wretched ways that you were before him can it show a change to the world will there be fruit for the world to see and right now today we need this more than ever these opportunities that are happening in our culture is the time that we get to shine that we get to make a difference and i look i vote I have beliefs about things, about politics. I do. But please, don't let those overshadow that Christ is enough. And we're bad to do that because we have egos and we have pride and we sometimes put our desires for the government and the politics of our country above the gospel. And so there are only six chapters to this letter and today our reading is from chapter five which is near the end of the letter and so now that you know all the backstory <laughs> let's read our text that we were assigned from our lectionary and i want you to listen for those two questions is the gospel enough is the spirit enough as we read through so i'ma start in chapter five with verse one and then we're going to jump to thirteen galatians five chapter one and i'm reading from the new living translation so christ has truly set us free now make sure that you stay free And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, So this theme that Paul is speaking and and writing here to those folks is that Christ has set you free. Make sure you stay that way, right? Free from the law. And that freedom is bound in grace and love. And so my first point is that your freedom that we just talked about in the backstory is meant to help you love others. And I will tell you, I grew up in a tradition. It was called the churches of Christ. Still around. Many dear brothers and sisters still there. Right? But I'll give you an example. They said there were certain rules I had to follow or do in order to be saved. Right? I'll just give you three examples. Some of you may relate to some of this. I must show up Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night because that's when the doors are open. Some of you remember that? So Jesus is only enough if I forsake everything else in my life and are there every time the doors are unlocked. Is that what you're saying? By the way, I get to go to worship on Sundays. It's my favorite day of the week, hands down. I love worship. I love the Word. I get to go. I don't have to go. And I love my forever family. I love coming here because you guys encourage me, you, we just pour into each other. It's what we're called to do. Secondly, I was told, if you use an instrument to sing on Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, that's a sin, and you're going to hell. I was told that. So guess what? When I was in grade school, all my friends that went to the Baptist church and the Catholic Church and the Methodist Church, I was sad for them. I was like, oh, those poor people, they're going to hell, right? That's what rules and traditions does to tell us Christ isn't enough. Oh, and by the way, if it was Tuesday or, you know, Friday and your folks wanted to put something on the turntable on the console, you know, you could do that in some houses. Some houses wouldn't even let you do that, Right? And you'd be okay. And lastly, I had to pray for forgiveness after each sin. And if I fell short of that, and I sinned, and then God forbid I have a wreck out here on my motorcycle, I'm done for, right? If I go to my deathbed, I heard many, many stories of elderly people who were on their deathbed saying that, trying to say the last prayer, God please forgive me for the mistakes I made this week as they were dying because they were fearful that Jesus and his sacrifice isn't enough. Now, those type of thoughts disgust me. When you learn that God forgives you from the horrible things you've done and the ways you lived and that his grace is enough, you can't look at that stuff in the same light that you did when you were in it. And I'm sure some of you had similar experiences in the faith traditions you grew up in, right? Right? Sometimes we can do the same thing today. Maybe it's not as extreme as those times in the Bible Belt of the 70s and 80s when I was growing up. But don't we sometimes say, well, I'm not sure about that worship. I'm not sure that Mikey's music is on par. That may be a little too much for God. Or I don't know how I feel about those people that just came in from the lake and their swim trunks... And T-shirt and flip-flops. That might not. They probably should dress better because Jesus isn't enough if we don't dress right. Or they're not in a small group. They're not. I asked Ed. They're not at his group. I asked Brett. They're not at his group. Not at Moments. Wow. Oh. they're failing. Any of those things, any things that we do, these traditions that we put up and we say, well, you, you have to do this because we love Christ and, and he, what he did is good, but you need to do that plus this. Anytime we do that, that way of thinking, you're discrediting the sacrifice of a Savior who forgives you from the things you did. And I would not want to go around the room and know everybody's skeletons, including my own because they're disgusting and filthy, because we're humans. But we've got a Savior that loves us and says, I don't even know what you're talking about. You came to me, I don't even remember. You might, I don't even know what you're talking about, Clay. That's the kind of Savior. And if you don't love that, and if that's not your hope, I feel sorry for you. Come see me and let me get excited and share the gospel with you, the real gospel. Because if we start putting rules and laws and say, well, if they don't vote this way, or they don't celebrate this, I've got a problem. And you know, we, we, at, at our work, we have laws. On the highway, we have laws, right? There are laws to bring civility to our world. And you can, yes, make somebody follow a rule or a law. right? We're gonna write them a ticket or speeding that might slow them down but what happens uh, the next time they're in the car they're like oh, back at it right?" or maybe it's that employee who just pushes the button and you just I'm going give them a write up I'm going to suspend them you might drive them into some level of correction but laws don't change the heart grace the gospel of grace changes the heart So lording and judging others isn't loving. Telling of a redemptive Savior is. And so we have to look at ourselves and say, "How's the world see us? How's the world see Creekside? Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. That's the only law we have. In my house, I changed. Michael can attest, I used to have lots of rules when he was growing up. I promise you. And I was, yeah, by gosh, Michael, you're gonna follow those rules. Right. But with Timothy, my youngest son, I figured out it's about the heart. And I wish I had done that with Michael, but I was young and not as wise. But you know what I have? Love God. Love others. That's my rules in my house now. I literally have no other rules. Not not and I'm not going to say, get those dirty clothes out of your floor. They've been there for two weeks, boy. Right? But the, the law that I have laid down is love God and love others. Think about it. If you do that, everything else takes care of itself. That's how you change people's hearts. With grace and love. And so how we love each other here is important, right? We're called as the church to love each other in great ways. But how we love the world is also very important. And when we're beating people up, and I'm no longer on social media, so I don't know, and I'm good with that. I'm actually great with that. But I hear there's been some really nasty stuff this week. So should we just not have our opinions and not vote no we that's okay but how we go about that is important my second point is the holy spirit will be your source to help you as we read in the scripture he gives us the spirit it's jesus inside us guiding us it's your right we're in a gps world and trust me sometimes it drives me crazy because i'm in the emergency services business and Sometimes people can't do anything but what that little woman on the phone tells you. And she's wrong part of the time. Do you all know that? Right? But that's their guidance system. Well, they're not going to go anywhere but where Lexi or whatever her name is tells you. Right? Right? All right. God has given you the perfect GPS, the perfect guidance system loves you. And then Paul said in Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit leads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. That scripture says if you're a believer and you've accepted Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit Perfect. It's going to tell you what to do. You have to get out of the way. And for some of us who are type A personalities or very driven, ambitious, sometimes that's hard. I confess. I know. I'm getting better. But we have to get out of the way and let God's spirit work. Now, the only way you're going to be in tune with that spirit is if you practice disciplines that allow you to hear his voice, right, through prayer, through reading of his word daily, staying in tune with him. But he's given that to you. And if you're not a believer, you know what I'm going to say. Let's go to the river this afternoon. I'll baptize you. I would love nothing more. We've got a boat ramp right down here at the lake or, or in the river. And I will talk with you about what it means to follow a God who is full of grace, who doesn't care what you've done, who accepts you as you are, and says just... Just come follow me and trust me. I will guide you. I'm not going to harm you. I want what's good for you. Right? We read that message throughout his word. By the way, the Old Testament spends the entirety of its time talking about Jesus' coming. The gospels are about Jesus' here. And those epistles and everything that follows is about Jesus' coming back. So if you want to know about Jesus, start reading. Read through the Bible. It's everywhere in the Old Testament that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. I will be with you. And so I'm going to close with a couple of quotes. One about grace in God and one about grace in our personal relationships. The first was from St. Augustine of Hippo, who was an early Christian father um, a couple of years, a hundred years after the church was established. He said this, for grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may be able to do them. In order that we may be able to do them. In other words, if we want the world to see us and see our hope, we have to let the Holy Spirit guide us into actions of love and show them the same grace that we've been given. The second quote is from one of my favorite theologians and writers, C.S. Lewis. And this is concerning personal relationships. Love is not merely a feeling. It is a deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit. Reinforced by, in Christian marriages, the grace which both partners ask for and receive from God. They can have this love for each other even at those moments when they do not like each other. As you love yourself, even when you do not like yourself. So, in our personal relationships, even beyond marriage, how we treat one another, when they know you go to Creekside, that tells the world, well, they're a believer at some level. And I see how they treat their employees or their neighbor, right? That's huge. We live in a culture, you know what they say about us? The, one, the number one reasons people are leaving the church, especially young adults, they say we're hypocrites. Now, we could argue the fact because we know there are many good works that come out of many churches. I was just at a banquet this week here in our community that many churches attended, and it was about helping people out of poverty, not giving them a handout, but giving them the tools and resources to help them work their way out of poverty and to get health care. And it was filled with politicians, church leaders, doctors, nurses, hygienists, EMS personnel, and on and on and on. People from all walks. That's the kind of message that we need to send to our community. If we want to see others come to Christ, we've got to live it through love and we've got to be full of grace. So that's the end. Mikey and the gang can come on up. I'm just going to close with this. I don't know everyone here. know most everybody here. But if you're not a believer, you may not totally understand this message today. But I'm happy to sit down with you or get with Pastor Mark and let him sit down with you and tell you the good news because it's not that polluted good news that many churches have put out there or that the world says about it because there are a lot of non-believers who say a lot of things that are untrue about the church and about Christians go to the source come see me I'll talk to you about giving your confession of faith and about baptizing and I don't like to wait every example we find in the New Testament they did not wait They went and got baptized. It's a big deal because you're telling the world, everything I did in the past, you can hold it against me, but he does not. It's your chance to start fresh, and don't we all want a chance to start fresh? And if you're a believer already, maybe you just have, you know, kind of drifted. I'm a drifter. There's comfort in that. If you're a drifter, you know what I'm talking about. I don't probably have to say any more. When you drift, it's peace, right? You don't have to worry about anything. Escapism, whatever you want to call it. Maybe that's what you've done with your spiritual walk. Maybe your faith. But I'm telling you, He's waiting. He doesn't care that you've drifted, that you've escaped, and He's ready for you to come back. And He tells you, I'm going to give you the Spirit. The Spirit's going to guide you, and it's not going to fail you. And if you're not sure... If you're drifting or not, ask the people that you can trust the most. That friend that's closest, closer than a brother. Or maybe your spouse. Hey, do you see the fruits of the Spirit in my life? That's a hard question to ask. Because we don't, as humans, don't like criticism. Ask that question. And tell them to be honest. I won't hold it against you, I need to know. And then start walking that journey to get back. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. I'm so thankful for your grace. Father, I've needed so much of it in my life. For the many mistakes, the people I've hurt, the ways I've failed. We all need it, Father. You offer it to us freely, no strings attached. And you want us to stay away from things that keep us not only sinful acts, but traditions and laws that take away from you being enough father because when we live in a way that says christ is enough and we let the holy spirit guide us the fruits of the spirit are going to be there father forgive us for having doubt and lacking the faith we need sometimes and i thank you for this body of believers and the the church everywhere father that you gave us it's another way that you let the Spirit lead us and guide us, correct us. That's a gift. We love you for it. Father, if there's people here that aren't believers, I just ask that they'll find me after. They'll come talk with me. And let me share the good news, the gospel of Jesus with them. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Father. Father, for those who are believers, Hopefully that you spoke through me today, and this message will resonate with them and draw them back into showing love to the world because they have received grace from you and because they let the Holy Spirit guide. Thank you for all of our blessings. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.